Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Thomas Wythe, welcome to The Mentor, mate. Thank you. It's good to be here. And we have crossed paths in the past, haven't we? We have, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just remind me, when did we last meet up? Would have been it was seven or eight years ago now. Yeah. Um, while, uh, while we're working together on a TZ Locker Project. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. While I was at Tamanda, yeah. Yeah, so were you a tech guy then? Doing I, w- tech? I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I ran the engineering team. Well, I can't quite remember now what, what our interaction was, but um, we obviously were running, um, put microprocessors into locks, which opened and closed locks. Yep. That were sort of like it could have been uh, locker systems and things. Yeah, could have been all sorts of applications. But exactly. In those cases, locker systems. What was Tomando doing? What were you guys doing? So, with us? so we were we were integrating TZ into our sort of value chain. Um, so we worked with retailers and we sort of connected retailers, SaaS marketplace. We yeah. connected retailers with logistics providers. Yeah. Um, so the great thing was this was like a third dimension to a marketplace. So we could use logistics providers to help retailers ship product to customers. Yeah. We could also ship that product to a locker, so a customer could go and grab it on the way home from work or when, when they when they uh, when they go and do their shopping. So, so it was early days of sensor technology in Australia. Yeah. Um it, like sensor technology's taken off and technology's taken off to in very many ways. But so were you were you a software Doing the software engineering, in yeah, that regard. yeah. So I'm not, I'm not a software developer by trade, but I've run, I ran engineering teams. I run engineering teams. Yeah. Um, so, you, so you did, uh, like, you built the architecture, or yeah, you, yeah. Or, so I did or, all or the provide the architecture. Yeah, so. exactly. I did all the solution design yeah. and hired the people to sort of put it together. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's, that's so. Let's go back a bit, Thomas. Mm. Um, uh, we just went back a bit, but let's go back a bit further. Um, your uh, your accent denotes uh, Englishman um, or yeah, something like that. Yeah, I moved, moved over from the UK um, about uh, 11, 12 years ago now. Yeah. Um, I was born in the southwest of England, so very remote sort of part of the UK. Yeah. Um, and uh, met my wife, moved to Australia when I was when I turned 30. So yeah. Why? Um, well, partially because my wife is an Aussie um, and I'm, I'm not really particularly wedded to any place as home as such um she was keen to move back i thought it'd be a great opportunity to live in a hotter country nicer climate um carry on doing what i enjoy i could see that the startup ecosystem was really starting to boom sort of 10 or 12 years ago in australia or generally? in australia yeah, yeah gen- generally but in particular in australia what inputs sort just of gave you that idea yeah it was just just uh just ironic twist of fate, actually. A lot of the um, co-founders and entrepreneurs I was working with in the UK at the time had either moved from Australia or were Australian and they were sort of transiting between the two. So I just got a little bit of insight as to what the sort of ecosystem looked like. 
did my research and decided, yep, this was definitely a place to be. Um, I did did a lot of reading and started to sort of touch um, touch in with people like uh, Steve Baxter as well, um, yep. based in Queensland, like quite an interesting character. He was doing a lot of stuff as well, and I thought this is this is pretty perfect. So you're obviously always interested in startups, startups dash, and then the technology side of that, or yep. the um, architecture of the software yeah. to you know for the engineering side of uh, technology, how it interfaces, etc., with um, yep. the mechanical stuff. The, or the physical stuff. So, uh, but was that always the thing that you loved at school, for example? Yeah, always. So probably less on the software side, but um, definitely with mechanical and electrical engineering. Like I've always been, I was, I was the kid that took the VCR to pieces when they were younger, which was, you know, always, always got me into trouble. Um, so from a very young age, I've always been fascinated with electronics, especially, and that kind of led me to technology generally. And then, of course, over the years, technologies become less about servers and hardware and networking those things are in the cloud now you don't you don't need to buy those things you don't need to maintain those things much more about software and using software as a launching pad to take ideas to market and you can do that faster now than ever before so the the um, prospect of taking an idea from an entrepreneur's head and making it reality in a really short cycle like that's probably the thing that that led me down this path is that your game to uh take my idea and turn it into um uh, bits and bytes and ones and zeros and make sure it works. Hundred percent. That, that's that's the bit of the work I do now that I love the most, and I, I learned that pretty early. Um, so when even when I was in my early twenties, like there were just certain characters that I could resonate with, and a, a lot of it probably because of sort of my background and um, sort of sort of having that uh, high functioning autism as well. I guess there's a little bit of creativity um, and sort of artistic temperament and working with entrepreneurs was just felt like such a natural fit for me. Um, so can you explain it to me? Like, I mean, that uh, high functioning autism, I mean, I know what it is, yeah. but can you explain what that is for you? Yeah. So it's different for a lot of people. It, it is. Yeah. yeah. 110%. So for me, it's, um, it's both positive and negative. So the, the positive is, um, I can see and visualize a problem. I can close my eyes and see, um, data flowing through a system. I can I can see workflows, processes. It's very easy for me to solve for how something should be done or could be done. Um, I can visualize that and I can turn it into reality. And I do have a talent for getting other people excited and sort of trying to communicate that to them. Something I used to struggle with, but over the years I've taught myself to become better at because that is that is how you take things to market. If you can if you the can concept, excite the communication, yeah, the communication. If you can get that right. Um, then you can achieve anything because you can build a team around you to to create incredible things. Um, on the downside, um, you tend to go a bit down a rabbit hole. So I'm I'm detail oriented. Is that distracted? Dis- distracted is probably it's actually the opposite. It's like taking a, a minutia challenge, something that cannot be solved, that is probably unimportant in the grand scheme of things. It's just a tiny piece of something you've got to do manually or maybe can't be automated in quite the right way or there's maybe no not quite a product market fit for this thing and and just you just keep flogging it until you you figure it out and sometimes you end up down a rabbit hole for days weeks and you, you're going nowhere and everybody around you knows you're going nowhere um but, but do you know you're going nowhere not not until the last minute that's that's generally what ends up sort of happening um uh, I end up spending investing a lot of time in things that you know don't need to be solved at that point in time. Ordinarily, a person doing that might get 
frustrated and go, fuck this, I'm not doing it. Yeah. You don't do that. Um, no, no. Do I, you get excited about it? Uh, it's, it's, yeah. About often, the challenges? Sort of often thing? the case, like I get, I'm, I'm very satisfied when it does get solved and then and then you sort of sit back and reflect and you go, oh, man, like great, it's been solved, but like really didn't need to go to that extent probably. But if it's not getting um, solved, I mean, do you get excited or frustrated? Uh, I get I get frustrated, very frustrated. And, that, and that's probably... Um, something else that's sort of high-functioning autism, again, sort of being on that spectrum, it really does grate on your mind as well to the to the point where it becomes a, a physical as well as a, as, a, as a mental sort of step back. Um, you know, you're perspiring, you're, you're sort of rubbing your forehead constantly and end up breaking out in spots after a couple of days and stuff like that. It's just, it's crazy. And then it, how did you, when did you first learn that... Uh, Thomas was like that. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was in my early twenties. So I'd, I'd always struggled, um, sort of going going through school life and trying to figure out what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be, what I was good at, what I wasn't. Um, I, I I went left and right for years. I I really couldn't figure out who I was. Um, spent a lot of time um, working very practically. I left school when I was sixteen. Um, just wanted to get into doing something with my hands, something with my mind that was engineering electronics. So I joined a TV repair shop. That was the closest thing I could do in the town I lived in. Um, but very quickly just started to realize that that was going to be very limiting. I wasn't going to be able to explore like the rest of what life had to offer because I had chosen something that was a very narrow field. And I went in a whole pile of different directions from there. For example, what you share with me? Yeah, so um, so I, I did that for a couple of years. Also started, and every, everybody's got a story of how you know they were, they could have been Michael Dell, they could have been you know Jeff Bezos. My my Michael Dell stories. I started I started building computers when I was in my sort of mid teens, um, low cost PCs that that people could sort of use at home for. Um, just browsing the web and maybe a few applications that weren't gaming rigs or anything like that. And because they were low cost, they were appealing, they had mass market appeal. Obviously, I couldn't manufacture them in any, anything like a scale that, that Dell could. But um, that was kind of one interesting sort of success story. Um, but then from there, I, it became very monotonous, I'm building the same thing over and over again. Um, so I actually joined an, an apprenticeship program for an aerospace company. Um, I was like, this, ha- you know, this is big toys now, huge scale um, manufacturing, massive kind of um, engineering challenges, I was hoping. Um, but just discovered very quickly that everything was basically, you're essentially reading off a giant set of plans. Everything's been designed, and a lot of it, because obviously safety is like a primary concern when you're building aircraft. Everything had been designed to like the most minutiae of detail. Um, so there's so little latitude to apply your own sort of flair and creativity. So I did that for a couple of years, gave it my best shot. Um, and then I saw an opportunity to get into real IT, real technology, um, building software, infrastructure, server infrastructure, data centers, that kind of thing. Again, that that sort of physical world of technology um, really excited me. Probably applied for 120 jobs, got rejected for every single one. Where, where were we now, UK or Australia? <laughs> we're still in the UK. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this was when I was probably 18 or 19. So it was literally just before 2000 when the bubble burst. So, so IT was this big thing. Everybody I knew was moving into it. It was really fast paced. Tech boom, it was on. Yeah, yeah. And and the challenges were so varied as well. Like the stories I was hearing from a lot of my sort of um, my friends who'd, who'd become like DBAs or the software developers or architects, 
um, just felt like so much variation and so much latitude, like they were shaping the thing that the customer was using as opposed to, again, reading off drawings and plans. So I, so I had to hard pivot from mechanical engineering halfway through an apprenticeship um, into, into software development. And um, I, I, just, I just went for interview after interview until somebody gave me a shot. I remember actually I had one interview for a, for a DBA and I, I had never written a database or piece of code in my life. And I remember calling, calling my best friend at the time and saying, hey, I need you to teach me everything about SQL everything about MySQL, I've got about 30 minutes before this interview, just like throw it at me. And he's like, you're, you're an idiot. There's no, there's no way you're going to be successful. Uh, I did actually pass it off and I did actually get a job offer, but uh, it was just in a, in a, in a sort of part of the country I didn't want to work in. Um, so a lot of persistence, a lot of grit. And eventually somebody gave me a shot. I took a junior role on a help desk and then sort of worked, worked my way up from there. That was my entry into, into tech. Um, and then after a few years of lots of different roles in sort of server infrastructure, again, building data centers, networking, that kind of thing, um, just sort of found my way into sort of the senior management circles. And I started to meet entrepreneurs and people, product managers and people that were building things and taking things to market. And it just blew me away. I was like, wow, these are people who it feels like think like I do. Um, but I have a talent for building things. You know, they have a talent for seeing an opportunity, it's like, this is what I want to do with my life. But that realization came fairly late, like I was nearly 30 by the time it, it hit me that this is what I want to do with my life. So I'm sort of somewhat fascinated with uh, your earlier description that um, yeah. you can sort of visualize data flowing. Um, yeah. Can you uh, explain what that means to someone who can't visualize data flowing. I mean, yeah, are, you able to, are you able to explain it in a narrative? Yeah, it's it's probably one of the reasons that um, I was I was a, a really good network engineer. Um, so networking is just the the art, I suppose, of getting data from one part of the internet to the other. And it is it is a lot more complicated than than people sort of give it credit for because you plug your laptop in or you connect it to your wireless network, and it just works. And nobody really needs to think about what's happening behind the scenes. Behind the scenes is one of the most complicated systems on the planet. Um, and um, I just found it so easy to build firewalls and network switches and routers because I could just visualize the flow of information through these systems. Um, I could close my eyes and I could kind of see what was happening in the device. It sounds crazy to say it, but as a result, even though I was quite inexperienced when I had some of these early roles, I was working with engineers who had 10, 20 years. They had all of the Cisco certifications, things that were um, sort of degree level in terms of the investment of your time and energy. Um, but I was besting them in terms of solving problems um, just because I could I could just visualize things better. Um, so that's where I started to realize I, I had a talent for solving problems more than anything else. It's one thing to have a, a vision as an entrepreneur. Yeah of uh, an opportunity that you might be able to solve. Yeah. But the visualization of the solution. Um, that's, that's, the the most, that's the most important. Well, it's, a, it's a different talent set. And that, and that's why I've always enjoyed working um, with entrepreneurs. Why I enjoy, I love working with the, the founders of Go One, with, yep. with Carl over at Tomando, same deal. Like I just love working with that mindset where um, someone can see, see a need, see a customer opportunity, um, and I can come in and immediately figure out how to take the market, hire a team that can build it and and deliver it, and that's that's what so I enjoy. You, that's what you're doing now, yeah. Particularly with uh, Go One. So, yeah. 
you're the chief information officer at Go Go One. Yeah, there's a there's a, it's a running joke that uh, at Go One it actually means central intelligence officer. Uh, I I have a an intricate knowledge of how the business works. Part of it's because I've been there for so long. Um, but also because I've solved so many challenges um, over the years, not only at Go One, but sort of all of the startups I've worked in. And you can almost start to sort of rinse and repeat. You know that at a certain phase of growth for a certain number of employees and a certain amount of revenue and a certain size of customer, these things are going to happen in this order and you've got to be one step ahead of solving it. Um, and um, like any startup, there are fires everywhere. So knowing which ones to put out when, <laughs> like that that's sort of super critical. That that's my superpower that I've matured, you know, since my since I since I hit 30 working in, in these environments, I can now detect some of that stuff early. Yeah. Uh, so is it about detection and, and then solutions? I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And just and just working like any on any given day, um, I'll be working 20, 30 different problems. Some of them are commercial ones. Um, a lot of them are technical ones. You know, I'll, I'll get hands-on with our support team as well if I need to, just in terms of helping lift the bar and giving them new knowledge. And I, I love teaching people some of the things that I know. Sometimes I find it harder to communicate, but, um, you know, we always kind of get there in the end. So Yeah, so I was going to ask you that. Um, we'll talk about the communication yeah. side of things a bit later but in the second half, but I presume your role as CFO uh, – Chief Information Officer, not yeah. CFO. Yeah, you know, Chief Financial Officer. Yeah, I'm not so good with numbers. <laughs> it's funny that you're not good with numbers. No, no, her, her, horrific. In fact, is yeah, that yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, I would have assumed mathematically would have been your your thing. It's and and this is it's an interesting point because this is the this is the broad spectrum topic when it comes to sort of autism in particular. Um, for for me, it was a is a creative flair that I have. It's the ability to visualize things. Um, and when it comes to literacy and putting words on paper and drawing things on a whiteboard, like it's always something I've been able to excel at. Um, other folks have uh, different talents. So, um, you know, other folks with autism are able to calculate things, work with numbers, mathematical expressions, equations in a far more complex way than I ever could, but maybe they don't necessarily have the sort of creative side. So it is a yeah. very broad spectrum sort of disorder, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but disorder sounds like it's uh, in your favour, by the way. But anyway, yeah, yeah, it it, it is. Yeah, okay. and it's uh, it's interesting you say because I've I've never I've never I've had uh, some other people use it as a as a as a reason for my behaviours. I've had other people say, "Oh, don't worry about Thomas. Thomas is X or Y." <laughs> but I've never used it as an as an excuse myself. I I actually hate the term sort of disorder. I don't think it is. I think it's just a different way of thinking. Yeah, totally. It's, it's, it's um, just a process, thought process. Yeah, one hundred percent. And you know, you you wiring is slightly different to someone yeah. else who's probably average at everything or, or yeah. it doesn't matter. Someone could be really good at something too, but, yeah. but you're just, the wiring is different. Yeah, it's exactly. Different. And for, and for me, it's, I definitely have an aversion to sort of numbers the, the commercial side of things I've always been able to work with because, um, cash, cash and, and, and commercials are really just incentive. That's like the reason a customer is going to work with your product or they're going to buy your product. And really it's just a balance of like value and money. And if you can see the value and you're expressing it the right way, the customer is going to pay a fair price for it. And I've always just fundamentally believed that. That is a scale that I can manipulate and I can understand. When it comes to managing a balance sheet, not a chance. Yeah. Um, that is something I really struggle but with. But at the fundamental level, um, you're right, it's uh, money in, money out. Yeah. And yep. um, that's sort of all that matters. It's yeah. funny, that's, yeah. that's what Kerry Packer used to always say to me, don't give me all that fancy shit, talk about EBITDA. Yeah, yeah. He said, I don't care about that. He said, I just want to know how much it's came in, how much money out. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. what's left over. Yeah. And, and is that in the bank? 
Yeah. And there's another bank. Where the fuck is it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and you better have you better have a good story. Yeah. Um, well, let, well oh, Thomas, I just want to get a break. I want to come back. I want to talk about Go One. So, and yeah, if you could just give me a, a thumbnail as to what what you guys are doing, yeah. and you've you've done great things at Go One. Uh, we'll Go One, and you have done great things. Yeah. And uh, I want you to take me through. But we'll go to the break. Come straight back. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. Awesome. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm back from the break and I'm talking to Thomas about Go One. I, I guess probably importantly, maybe I could ask Thomas to give me a, uh, a narrative, a description. What does Go yeah. One do then? Um, so Go One is an online learning content marketplace. So we've um, integrated content from over 300 um, unique content providers, some, some of the big names that, that people recognize, Pluralsight, um, Skillsoft, Coursera, et cetera. Um, we standardize that content into a single play experience and then we enable our customers, which is any employer, frankly, that needs access to online learning. That's the other side of a marketplace. We enable that employer to um, play that content back to their users in, in any device that they need to play it back on. So give me an example. Um, let's say it's uh, Coles being the employer yeah. and Coles call, coming along to go on. What, what do you guys, so what would they be looking for? What do you provide? Yeah, exactly. So the, the the first thing they'll be looking for is probably compliance content. They're a very large organization, got varying roles. Some of them are frontline, some of them back of office. You've got the broad spectrum stuff and bullying, harassment, diversity, inclusion, the stuff that you need to deliver and should deliver to employees. But you've also got a bunch of frontline staff that need to know how certain equipment works, um, certain stock taking procedures, um, you've got a management team, probably need a leadership brush up. Um, maybe there are sort of other sort of business skill topics that are useful as well. Um, and so compliance is usually our sort of foot in the door, but then very quickly um, our customers realize that actually we've got this whole plethora of content. There's over 120,000 courses that cover almost everything that someone needs to learn or any competency that a team manager or an L&D team, learning and development team, needs to uplift in the business. We've We've got the content for it. Um, and it's all in a simple subscription product. So you pay per user per month or per user per year, you get access to all of it. Um, and that's that's really our sort of unique differentiator. And the, the minute that a customer is looking at content from maybe more than two or three sources, much like a Spotify or a Netflix style subscription model, it's probably going to be cheaper to 
to take out a subscription than it is to um, buy, buy content. Buy the individual yeah, lots. Yeah, precisely. And yeah. Uh, so Go One is a, a platform for employers to carry on um, professional development and education for their employees. Spot on, yeah. On, exactly on right. areas which today uh, can be sensitive or areas today which can be um, – Brand damaging if you fuck it up. Yeah. If if the employees fuck it up. Yeah. Um, and uh, and also also I guess it's important because employees like to know they're they're getting better and better and better at their job. Yeah. Hundred percent. And it's a yep. subscription based. So you know, on the example I just gave, a Coles, um, uh, pay a, a fee monthly fee whatever it is. So yep. it's it's. it's Sort of um, annuity based. The money's coming in all the time. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. it's it's annual recurring revenue, which yeah. from a from from a sort of investment community from standpoint, it's great. We love that. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. all good. Um, and we also we also have a a phenomenon as well, which is negative net churn. So on average, um, if you take the collectivity of all of our accounts, they grow in size every year by a certain amount. Um, and that's normally because customers experience significant value in the product. Yep. And naturally, they'll move beyond compliance or CPD and they'll start looking at broad-scale professional development or, or self-directed learning for individuals. So the individual themselves can just dive in and pick up a topic or maybe an activity they've got to do for the first time and they can find what they need and learn it like just in time. That value always always permeates in the end. And during COVID, um, I guess it would Even be better. Big, yeah. big time because um, employers are saying, well, we're not that busy or whatever. Um, yeah. Let's just push everyone through getting better at what they do. Yeah, precisely. Or, or reskilling. Um, obviously, what's, yeah. the, what's the one thing we all had to do during COVID? It's like learn how to use Microsoft Teams, get better at communicating in, in Slack and, and start using Zoom. And, and you know, we had um, courses and content that enabled employees to roll out not only those products, but also the training and how to use them as well. That's just one example. Yeah. So to some extent, it's sort of a, an education marketplace, you being the vendor yeah. of the information and then the the coal example, the customer yeah. plus their staff being on the other side of the marketplace. Exactly. And they just dip into the marketplace that you built seeing what there's a yeah. big menu there and they can sort of decide what they want to precisely buy yeah or, or play with and the real magic is obviously the bigger the business is the more likely it is they have some kind of incumbent platform that is dealing with the delivery of learning already a learning management system so sap success factors oracle hcm learning there's some just some big big products out there um, our content is natively integrated with most of those platforms already right so when we're addressing a coals chances are they use one of the the, the top 10 LMSs, mm -hmm. our content's already there. Um, it's already natively integrated so they can just pick it up and, and start deploying it almost immediately. Yeah, That's so a massive difference. So it's sort of like open architecture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so we've built a suite of technologies on both sides of a marketplace, one for consuming the content and one for distributing it into some of these LMSs that is like class leading. It means we've been able to grow the business from a handful of providers when I started working with GoOne and a million dollars of revenue um, to over 300 providers and 100 different learning management system integrations. We've done that in a pretty short space of time, yeah. The content, is it from, from other providers? Yeah. yeah so yeah. It's, so like um, let's say, um, you know, I've got a great leadership program. Yes. And let's yeah. say people want to hear about it. So it, it, I then go, well, you might come to me or I go to you. And, Bit uh, of both, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you actually take my – my content, yeah, and um, you put it onto your platform and make it available to uh, the anybody calls, that calls can discover it. Yeah, anybody yeah. that's plugged into our products, which, so which is literally do that. It, yeah, that's yeah. that's exactly right. You've got sort of fifty to a hundred, um, certainly in this part of the world, like major 
learning learning uh, content providers, but you also have this growing long tail that has hu- potentially hundreds of thousands of content providers globally. It's the Mar and Pa um, that create amazing Amazon Web Services content. The guy maybe does three or four courses, um, and um, you know it's a small amount of content, but it's delivered with passion and energy, and it is you know the best it possibly can be because this person might have even worked for Amazon in the past. So we're always on the lookout for. So you curating this stuff, Thomas? It's a service that we we deliver. Um, with sort of through our customer success. So when when we're working with a Coles or when we're working even with a content provider, we might say to the content provider, hey, we're seeing a lot of demand in this area right now and it's underserviced. Like you seem to be well positioned. Why don't you create something mm. and we'll, we, we can help you get a bit of traction. But on the customer side, we're kind of saying, right, what are your learning needs? Where, do you, where are your pain points across the business? Is it with the front line? Is it back of office? Is it leadership, executive, whatever? And then we will curate the content offer usually through consultation but more and more it's that sort of needle in a haystack topic like the li- as the library gets bigger it becomes harder and harder to do that like so, recruitment retention would be a big one yeah exactly yeah, yeah. precisely yeah. and that and that's a super broad topic because that Fair is really topic. just about giving people internal mobility yeah, yeah, so if yeah. you're in a business like Coles 20 50,000 people whatever like probability is that like churn of staff is probably one of your highest costs. Yeah, yeah. So if you can retain them and give them a brightness of future and help their career planning, you know, much like mentors of mine sort of helped me in the past, actually having the platform deliver some of that for you in an automated way, like that's the future. Uh, I guess it also what's good about this is if you've got enough customers, I'm going to ask you a question, you might not have done this yet, but it, um, have you employed machine learning um, programs at this stage? 100%, 100% yeah. A lot, a lot of it's early stage stuff. Yeah, yeah. But of course, the cool thing is over the last four yeah, or five totally. years, we've been collecting all of this data. Yeah, like yeah. We know we know what people enroll into, what they generally end up doing next, what vertical they're in, yeah, the business yeah. they work for, the region they're in. All of, obviously, all of it's anonymized from from an individual's oh, point of view. Yeah, okay. From an from from an individual's point of view, but on aggregate, we can use that um, to create really powerful recommendations. So, on the machine learning part of it, side of it, um, and uh, you're getting a lot of intelligence on what's going on out there. Yeah. Can I ask you, well, like, right now, like, what's everybody want to learn about? Like, yeah. What are, yeah. I mean, what is, what are the areas that people are sort of? I guess the talking pr- about? probably the biggest the biggest trend of all is that um, we we see. Um, more and more lean towards self-directed learning. So people picking up topics that they think are a logical next step in their career or something they're having to do for the first time as a result of their role changing and they're trying to upskill very, very quickly. So we're seeing a lot of lean towards I'm, I'm discovering the content myself and so the topics are hugely varied, but it's also short form. So I want you to test my knowledge and then I want you to give me sound bites of knowledge, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, maybe video like you did you mate yeah exactly exactly yeah tell me teach me teach me sequel in 30 minutes um that that's exactly what we do so and of course because we have all of this learning content there is short form stuff there's long form stuff there's accredited stuff we've got something for everybody but that's generally where we're sort of seeing the trend and of course our, our ambition and we're working very actively on this now is to collect a little bit of information about your career goals and what you want to do and give you a completely dynamic pathway that helps you get there so that it's a lifelong learning journey. Do you mean that though? We know you've been reading this. Um, can we make these suggestions for you? 100%. Yeah. That's exactly what we want to do. That's, and that's, that's your goal. That's that's our goal, yeah. And for that to be as contextual to your career goals as possible. So mm-hmm. we want to sort of try and align 
what you're looking at. But I'm trying to guess your career goals. Also, yeah. the system. I can trying infer to, them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, from yeah. what you're doing yeah, and yeah. what you're searching for, 100. percent Yeah. So yeah. you're not actually asking Thomas what the, the career goals yeah. are, but you're drawing conclusions based on what he's looking based at. Based on the perhaps. activity. Yeah, yeah. yeah and uh, it's not dissimilar anyway. I mean, it's a, a different industry, but it's not dissimilar to what Netflix does. I mean, yeah. entertainment. What you are doing, you're actually in the entertainment industry, but entertainment through in information. Um, yep. So you're you're learning entertainment, whereas entertainment, you know, Netflix is what I want to watch on television. Yep. But at the same time, it's the same deal. They're trying to work out what I really want to watch, yep. and off the back of that, they go and make sure that they produce those sorts of shows. If there's yep. enough of us, if there's a big big yep. enough um, database, base. that's the that's the flow of information through that marketplace, yeah, yeah. driving your content providers in terms of where the, where the trends are and what people are searching for that maybe they can't find. Yep. And then on the flip side, taking that new stuff and making sure the right people get in front of it. And then also making sure that I'm looking at what, yep. making sure they know what I'm looking for, making sure they, they yep. tell me to go and look at exactly. it. So they don't lose me. So this is a, this is a sort of like a, a game of um, recruiting, if that's the word, originating people or your customer, yep. finding your customer, but also retaining them. Yeah, 100%. It's as much about retention yep. as anything. Yeah, very, very much. And, and do you sell it into coals like that? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's ex exactly correct. So again, it might it might start with a with a and again, you know, where we've ended up, where we've where we've kind of got the conversation versus compliance. You know, it's a world apart, but that's generally the the foot in the door. Yeah, we'll yeah, start with that. that. You got to have a yeah. You gotta, I mean, I was yeah. just thinking about the lease club that I'm on the board of, and I was just thinking to myself, you know, where where you know, like we have poker machines. So a big one for us is um any money laundering and. Yeah, that stuff. Yes, um, yeah. and and not many people really know enough about it. That that's yeah. a really sort of um, niche compliance environment. But you know, we have to report on it as a board once a month. Blah blah blah. And got a uh, lot of content on that topic as well. Yeah, I can imagine you do. And <laughs> but but once you once you you know you get me in. Yeah. And if I'm using you know go one, I might actually see other stuff there. And, yeah. And all of a sudden, I might get myself. Oh, I wouldn't mind learning about how to do Python. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. Like, do you do those sorts of things? A hundred percent. Coding courses. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, we have a lot of sort of virtual lab environments as well. So it's real coding exercises. It, you know, you're you're writing code for real Cisco routers and stuff like that. Is it video or is it um, just super combinations? Yeah. So there's right. there's a lot of video content because right. that that's the preferred delivery mechanism for a lot of the providers. So dudes get up there and talk. Yeah, 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 yeah. And often it's um you know there's and over time that these um, videos have become more and more interactive in that they're situational so they start to become things people can relate to it's yeah. not just a sort of talking not head, you know, it's a bit, bit more environmental which is which is interesting but we also have a lot of sort of 3d content as well so we use the the power of your, your pc and your 3d rendering engine to actually create virtual environments that you can navigate through and actually interact with so we've got a great bunch of health and safety courses um, to do with sort of mining and, and yep. um, sort of building sites and stuff like that. Here are real hazards, like how do you deal with them? How do you navigate them? They're super popular because um, it's fun to do it um, as opposed to learning being a sort of parrot fashion reading from a book or whatever. And I guess it also it helps you go back to the vendors or the content providers. Yep. And go back and say, listen, you know what's really working <laughs> is this format. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, don't bore the shit out of all these people because yeah. people yeah. just sort of dropping off those things. And it's just a different use of the same data. So we use yeah. the data to sort of inform individuals, but also we can tell the employer like your individual, your employees are looking for this stuff. They can't find it. Maybe you need to go find it, roll it out for them because it, clearly it is an is an intrinsic need in your business that you've not addressed yet. And again, for the providers, we can say these are the topics that are trending in these regions and these verticals. You know, you have fifty percent coverage. You should think about creating some more content in that area. Very good. Um, yeah, it's very exciting. It's it's cool. So it's going well. 
Yeah, it's going very well. Yeah, yeah. So um, interestingly, so, uh, US revenue for us sort of overtook Aussie revenue sort of a couple of years ago. We had a few sort of full starts sort of getting the US side of the business up and running. But uh, one thing that's very evident is that um, because in the US, customers are generally a little bit bigger. So obviously, overall average customer size is going to be larger. But there's a lot of um, incumbent technology. So there's a lot of LMSs that have been around for a long time, like circa 10, 20 years, just not as flexible when it comes to delivering large volumes of content for individuals. In Australia, it's totally different. Like of, Often the pockets aren't as deep to pay for the sort yeah. of larger sort of enterprise systems. And so there's been a bit more of a path to innovation in Australia. So we've been able to cut our teeth here and evolve our platform very quickly. We've taken that to the US, solved for we also need to get this stuff into these large enterprise platforms, built those relationships, and now it's snowballing. Um, so it's it's been an incredibly successful market for us. But it just goes to show if you're an Aussie business, if you can make it work here, probability is you're ready for a for a global stage. And apart from finding the right talent on the ground, like you you, you can take that to market in the US for sure. It's interesting because a lot of people globally actually try try us as their first market anyway. Yeah, it's yeah, just, for that reason. It's not unusual. It's yeah. not, not unusual. Yeah. And in fact, that business that you and I were um, involved in many years ago, that's what we did. Yeah. And what we found though that um, – was the uh, Australian market was way too small, so we had to go into the US market. Well, we went to all markets, but largely the US market. Yeah. But, it, but we had, but we did test the whole thing here. We yeah. tested it out in Australia. Uh, Thomas, I, short of time, mate, but because uh, we've been magging our heads off here, but uh, yeah. I normally give everyone a, an opportunity if they want to ask me a question. Do you have any questions for me? Um, I'd, I'd love to know what you're what you're up to at the moment, actually. So um, from from a, from a sort of new new business point of view, yeah. like what what are you where are you putting your well, time and energy? Well, and I've got this business going, but probably what excites me, um, I mean, apart from having the opportunity to talk to people like you <laughs> every week and I, I hear new things and get new ideas every week and I see people, how they've done it, probably more importantly, and I get meet different types of personalities, which has been great, probably uh, I don't know, quite a few hundred of them, especially during the COVID period. Um, uh, my big game right now is uh, fintech uh, or financial technology or my idea and I'm talking to a person who can imagine these things, but <laughs> and my idea is that um, there's been the wrong direction for fintechs. Fintechs has all been about how do I process your loan application uh, electronically or digitally faster than a, a person can do it. That, that doesn't really gather much information from my point of view. I mean, you, sure, it makes the system more efficient and you can you know, probably cut some costs out of you know, the process and therefore increase your, your margin and maybe make a little bit more money out of it. On the traditional fintech course now that most of the banks are using is it's it's about, therefore I only know the behaviour, your behaviour once you have a loan with me mm. and I know your behaviour because I know how often you pay, do you miss payments, I know where you live, I know where the, you know, I know where the interest rate is, how much you borrowed. I, I just know specific stuff about you once you've done a deal with me. What I think is really interesting from a fintech point of view or using fintech is to find out what the behaviour of a person is before they borrow money from you. When do they decide to think about borrowing first? When's the first thought about borrowing? And uh, what are the behaviours that they display? Do they, I mean, do they start reading mortgage magazines or they start looking at the you know, City Morning Herald on a certain page or look at the AFR on a certain page, electronic I'm talking about? Um, or do they, um, uh, do they read articles about first homeowners or do they go to realestate.com or do they go to domain? I think there's there's a place for fintech to sit around that 
and actually start to gather behavioural data of um, of people who are, are going to uh, explore and then commit. Because so Westpac only knows who's ends up borrowing with them. CBA only knows who ends up borrowing with them. But people who borrow didn't, couldn't care who they borrow from. People yeah. and what would be good is if a bank knew who these people were and somehow got to them before they went to everybody. Yeah, early signals of intent. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, that, that's what sort of excites me. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I've been sort of working on some fintech architecture around that at the moment. We've actually started to build build it out a little bit, like do some um, dev on it. But um, because in, in Australia, 70% of all loans come through a mortgage broker. Yeah. So banks close a branch down. Then, you know, for 30% of all the consumers um, who actually wanted to borrow money from them and, and actually they've sort of abrogated that right to find out stuff to brokers, but brokers are all very. Uh, it's not much. There's not much technology around a broker. Brokers just sit in a little office in wherever they are. So much of it's still paper. Yeah, it's yeah. Paper. and it sits in a filing cabinet somewhere. Totally, yeah. and, they, and yeah. they never even contact the client back again. Yeah, you know, you know and the bank then takes control. Yeah, tries to sell my credit card or whatever it is, but it's sort of a bit old fashioned. And yeah. I just thought if you could somehow um, digitize the information and then. That the brokers are seeing and those or digitized relationships and understand behaviors, that would be a pretty cool thing. So um, I've got a little team. We've been working on this now for about a year, um, and I haven't said too much about it because um, you know I don't know everybody wants to shoot you down these days when you come with a digital idea. But yeah, that's what's exciting me at the moment: um, understanding behavior through financial technology and basically I don't want to say the word stalking, but following people around. You know, I put yeah. something out there, Burley out there, you read yeah. about offset accounts or whatever it is and uh, I drop a cookie on you and then I know what you're doing and I can follow you around yeah. and then I can sort of see what you're doing. You might go over to Domain, you might go to realestate.com. Um, you start to figure out I'm looking for a house in this yeah, area for this 100%. value and then, you yeah, know, you can you – Then can, I can go back yeah. and say, well, you know, uh, if you give me access to your open banking account – because we have this thing called open banking, which come, is coming to play. Figure out the best rate and the best I, lender. I could sort of say yeah. to, to them, well, we could get you a loan approved by this bank Yeah. Um, if you're interested. Yeah. You don't have to. but this Perfect is, timing as well. There's a lot of shopping going on yeah, right totally, now. So, totally, yeah. Totally. I, yeah, just, I, I just think it. it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I've been playing around with it for a while now, but, uh, you know, it's like you've caught up with everything else and you forget to do the thing you have some passion about, you end up getting caught up in the weeds every day. I understand that completely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. A bit like you, I can uh, get caught up in, um, in uh, the weeds very easy. Yeah, yeah. So I know what Fantastic. you're talking about. Well, good to see you, Thomas. Thank you, yeah, well it's done. great. Yeah, well thank done. you. And, and, I, and, I, and I don't want to say, isn't it in a contest anyway, but, you know, it's fantastic that you accept your strengths and weaknesses, which I think is the most important thing everyone should do. And... Um, don't blame anybody. Don't make excuses. And on top of that, you're killing it. So well done. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's great to, great to have been here. Thanks for listening to The Mentor. Audio and production is by Jess Morley. And production assistants, Jonathan Leondis. 